What you are about to listen to could be dangerous for anyone wishing to live a normal, safe life at the end of a cheesy cul-de-sac. Back to Jerusalem podcasts are not made in sterile recording studios with professional DJs, but instead behind enemy lines with horrible acoustics, bad internet connections, and suspicious-looking coffee. Listening to Back to Jerusalem podcast could include unwanted side effects like selling your house, leaving your boring job, and uncontrollable desires to speak strange foreign languages. So buckle up, strap in, and hold on, because this is Fast Train, baby, to all those places your mother warned you about. And now, for your host, the man known for having a radio face, Eugene Bach, coming to you live on delay in 5, 4, 3, 2... Hello and welcome to another B2J podcast. I am Eugene Bach, your host for this half hour, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of America, where we have just wrapped up our three-week tour uh, throughout the United States, and it has been an odyssey. Uh... I have just spoken this morning. I did two services. You're going to hear some background noise. You're going to hear some road noise, kind of the roar of the road, as you will, or maybe even some clicking. Um, It is raining outside, so you might even hear the windshield wipers. I'm making a drive right now, leaving out of Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was in Fort Mill. Fort Mill is actually just south of Charlotte, on the South uh, Carolina side. I almost said South Korea. <laughs> I'm so used to talking about North Korea, South Korea, that when I talk about North Carolina, South Carolina, the the, the kuh, right after the kuh sound, after Carolina, I want to say Korea instead of Carolina. Anyway, I just wrapped up the tour for my uh, part of the tour, which has been the Back to Jerusalem Eugene Bach tour, going to the different places, primarily in the eastern part of the United States as well as the Midwest. It has been an amazing time. And of course, at the same time that I'm traveling around the United States, Brother Yun is traveling around the United States as well. So he is wrapping up the tour in San Diego tonight. He's got a morning service and an an evening service meeting at the Ambassador Church in uh, San Diego with uh, our very good friend there, uh, Pastor Mark Spitzbergen. And his whole team there, just amazing people. We love working together with them. I know he's having a great time. I wish I was together with him. I know that they get uh, a little bit more charismatic at Pastor Mark's church, and we love it. They're always excited about what Back to Jerusalem is doing and what we're a part of. They're big supporters of ours in the way that they continue to pray for us. Uh, on an, uh, uh, Every single time we're on a... A big project or on a big mission trip, they are always right there beside us praying for us, and we're so appreciative of that. Today, I wrapped up my tour in Fort Mill at a church. Uh, the pastor of the church is uh, Rick Joyner, Rick Joyner's church there, Morning Star. And if you are familiar with Morning Star Ministries, uh, Pastor Rick Joyner has been uh, running that ministry for sometime. It's actually George Perot that is a very good friend of mine. He is their missions director. He and I have developed a great friendship over the years. And he has asked me to come and speak at some several of their events. 
And I have just been so happy to do that. We have actually been working together now, I want to say, for about four to five years. And what's great about their church is that they are involved in so many different countries that are in our target zone as well. And last time I was with them, I spoke at a um, meeting at their retreat center. They have a retreat facility in Moravian Falls, North Carolina, a church that's called The Gathering. Pastor David, I don't know his last name, um, but Pastor David is the pastor there at uh, The Gathering, which is the kind of like the retreat area. It's where they hold a lot of their conferences as well as their mission conference, which is the conference that I spoke at last year. They have uh, that facility there, and I was speaking at that uh, gathering, that mission gathering in Moravian Falls, North Carolina last year, when so many people came forward saying they felt called of God to join together with Back to Jerusalem. And we were really excited about that because we needed help. For instance, they have a group that's called the Special Ops. And this during this trip, I got the opportunity last Thursday to share about what God is doing in China with their Special Ops team. Now, their Special Ops is a group of people that are 50 plus. So they're over 50 years old and some of them are retired. And there was a lady who came up to me and she said, you know, I want to come and serve. Her name was Deborah. She said, I've already retired. Deborah might even be listening to this. She's been an amazing lady. She's a, um, a, a member of the church. She actually worked with the fifty op, or I'm sorry, the fifty plus special ops group. And it was um, it was the mission conference that we had at the gathering that she had come up to me, approached me, and said, "Hey, um, how can I be a part of what Back to Jerusalem is doing?" I'm retired, I have a retirement salary and not really anything tying me to the states. So if you can use me, if I can volunteer, I would love to be a part of that. (laughs) I said, do we have a place for you? I was so excited. And she is there right now serving. She's had some um, health issues. So if you can remember to pray, I'm not going to give her last name, but she's been serving Now in China, I want to say less than a year. It's been about more than six months, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. And she has just been a huge blessing for the students. And she comes from uh, the the special ops 50 plus group there at Morningstar Ministries. So this morning, I was able to speak at their Sunday morning service. We had a great time. I think we had a great time. I'm biased. I, you know, I was obviously the speaker. It was so good too because I spoke at Thursday's meeting, meeting, and um, there was a lady who was at Thursday's meeting. It was the special ops meeting, and uh, of course I was wearing my hat as I usually do and my glasses. And <clears throat> uh, when I came into the church this morning, I was not wearing my hat and glasses, and she didn't recognize me. So she said. Um, Welcome to the church. And I said, thank you. And she goes, have you heard about our special speaker? And I said, yes, I have. And she goes, have you heard him speak before? And I said, yeah, you could say that. Because, I mean, she didn't know that I was actually the speaker. 
And she goes, and she made me feel so good because, of course, she didn't know who I was. And so because she didn't know who I was, she uh, she made my day when she said, he is so good. He's The, the, the things that he's going to be sharing about, I, I heard him on Thursday, and he was just amazing. And, uh, and she said, if I was only 40 years younger, <laughs> and I just started laughing. I, never, I did not tell her, tell her who I was. But I'm sure she figured it out when I started to speak at the service. But the reason I bring that up is because I was able to spend some time with a guy that I've been wanting to meet for a while. And as I'm driving down the road, I'm, I'm making my uh, drive to the, my next destination. So I'm on the road right now driving through North Carolina on the 77, the I-77. So I'm driving north, trying to debrief or think about the things that took place this afternoon. Because right after the service, I was able to sit down and speak with a former congressman, Mark Salander. I'm probably saying his name wrong. It's actually a, a Swedish name. Um, I guess in Swedish, let me see if I can read it here while I'm driving. Siljander is probably how you would say it. I don't know what that means in Swedish. Uh, I speak Swedish, but my Swedish is not that great. It's not so good. I speak a little Swedish, but it's not that great. Uh, we actually speak Swedish in our home from time to time, especially with my wife and children uh, who are uh, all Swedish. I'm the only one who is not Swedish in our family. Uh, but so I was able to spend time with this Congressman Mark, and uh, he is an absolutely fascinating character. Now, I might do another podcast about him. I would like to do a podcast with him. Um, today, we were able to meet for the very first time. He came to the service. He was invited by somebody, and he made the drive down. I was so thankful that he made the drive down to the service. When I heard he was there, I was extremely thankful to touch base with him. Um, I will tell you why I wanted to meet with him in a minute, but if I can just give you a little bit of an introduction, basically, uh, it says here on his, um, on his introduction that former congressman and UN ambassador Mark Siljander recounts his amazing spiritual odyssey from anti-Muslim Christian conservative conservative to pioneer in discovering the groundbreaking common roots between Islam and Christianity while trailblazing I am trying to read and drive at the same time a unique diplomatic path for bringing the two communities together now he wrote a book that is called The Deadly Misunderstanding and this book is a book that I've read, um, I want to say, a couple years ago. So I'm not going to try to talk about it in detail just because I will probably uh, mess up in my recounting of what the book was about. But, I mean, just from what it said, I, it, it's obvious that it was about what he was doing to bring two communities together. But that's kind of generic to the you know the Christian community and the the Muslim community together, he did more than that. He was able to connect 
with Muslim leaders, one of them being the, the president of Sudan, who is a war criminal, wanted for uh, crimes against humanity. And he was connecting with, with him as well as um, Gaddafi of Libya. And that actually landed him in a world of hurt. Because, just to put it in a very small nutshell, according to him today, is that under the Patriot Act, he was considered to be connecting too closely with these sponsors of terrorism. And of course, if you remember, right after 9-11 in 2001, just prior to passing the Patriot Act, Bush made it very clear, either you are standing with us or you are against us. And for somebody who doesn't understand the Christian heart of reaching out to those who may be our enemy and trying to reach them for Christ, it can be very much a, a, a misunderstanding of why are you making friends with these individuals. And so I think what Congressman Mark was doing was misunderstood. And he was tried. I believe it's treason. I think, they, I think he said treason don't hold me on what what he was actually charged with, but he served one year and one day in prison, federal prison for the acts that he did considered to be against the U.S. government. However, I found him absolutely fascinating because we were talking alike. We were thinking alike. He was able to come in and, and hear about me sharing the Ideas of going into the Muslim areas and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing Muslims changed. And here's the thing that I guess I'm trying to gnaw on right now, and maybe some of the people that are listening to this can help me. Seriously, I'm, I'm, I mean, the things that I'm going to, that I'm about to bring up, I don't know how I actually feel about it because I haven't researched it enough. I haven't looked into it. I haven't even heard of it. So what Mark was sharing with me today was something that was completely new. And <laughs> so you know whenever you hear something new, you can think, wow, this is really, really bad or this is really, really good. And sometimes if it's completely new and you think it's really, really good, it might be really bad and you only find out about it later. Or it might be really good and you think it's bad, and so you, you just reject it offhand and then begin accepting it later. <clears throat> so basically, he is working together to create bridges between Muslims, Christians, and Jews. Good luck on that one. That I mean, I, we're in that world. We're in you know the Middle East with Christians, Jews, and Muslims. And uh, you know that's like trying to put together a, a, a peace for the Middle East plan. But he, he obviously feels that this is something that God has called him to do. We're working basically in the same way. He's been doing it more from an official government level. We've been doing it from a ground level. You know, we're, we're just uh, your poor old country boys from China working with everyday people. Uh, you won't catch any of us really wearing a suit or working with higher-ups or government officials like Congressman Mark was working with. 
we're more at a grassroots level trying to make a difference with everyday people in the Muslim, Buddhist, and Hindu world. And he started to share with me today about a the, a, 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 the Quran that he had been working on, a translation of the Quran that he had been working on. Now get this. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain it adequately. Like I said, I'm driving. I'm just debriefing, kind of going through in my head what it was that he had shared. And I would love it. If you guys want to write to me, you can send me an email at sinobach at gmail.com. S-I-N-O-B-A-C-H at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. love to hear your thoughts. Either you can warn me or you can encourage me. I'll take both. <laughs> I honestly will. But now, now get this. Now see if you can understand this. He's been working. Now he's a Christian. And he wants to see Muslims be reached for Christ. Okay? He's, he's not necessarily interested in the term Christian. And I get that. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm completely on board with that idea. And, you know, he also brings up a, a really good point that the majority of Christians reject the idea of referring to God as Allah. Now, I'm going to pause here. Let me, let me just pause here because before I get into this project that he's been working on and, and try to get your advice, this is where, you know, he and I might be in the minority together. We might not agree on everything. Actually, if he saw my books or if he read my books, which I don't think he has, if he does, he might see that I agree with him in approach. But my understanding, honest understanding of Muslim teaching and the Quranic teaching is probably going to be a little bit more harsh than he would agree with. I feel that the uh, Quran is a perverted book. Um, I feel that Muhammad was a false prophet. And I recognize I will reach absolutely no one with that attitude. So I'm aware of that. So if he would say, you know, you're only going to distance more Muslims from you, um, you know, put them on the defensive trying to protect their book and instead of reaching them you're arguing with them and you know what whether you agree with that or not I do agree with that I do know that my conclusion now my conclusion though came uh, for the Quran my conclusion on how on how I evaluated the Quran did not come from someone else's influence I I studied the Quran together with uh, an imam I've gone through the Quran several times and and looked at it from every which way. And if it was possible in any single way to tell you that I believe that the Quran is a peaceful book, I would do that. I really, really would. If there was any single way that I could tell you that that the Prophet Muhammad was a peaceful individual, I would so do that. And I know that there are parallels that can be drawn between the warring... Um, David and the warring um, Muhammad. And I know that there are parallels that can be drawn by many about the wars that were started by Islam and the wars that were brought on by Jews in the Old Testament. I completely get it. 
And I listened to Mark as he talked about, you know, the Bible telling uh, individuals to bash the heads of their enemy against the rocks, kill babies, kill children, kill women, kill everything. And that is not much different than the Quran. He did rightly point out that these were historical and they were also limited. So, for instance, when God gave commands, he would often make sure that the people group and the time were very clear. The Hittites, which I believe, personally, this is me, and this is where we might disagree, Mark and I. I was not interested in disagreeing with him. I really wanted to learn from him. I genuinely wanted to hear his thoughts, and I wanted to absorb them and soak them in knowing that as they left his lips, they were much different than my thoughts, but that's okay. That's completely okay. I'm fine with that. I hope he's fine with that. Because when we see the Hittites are to be destroyed or the Jebusites are to be conquered, that's different than the infidel. The infidel is an open-ended situation. When the, when the Quran... Uh, says to um, attack the infidel or destroy the infidel or subdue the infidel it is open ended for all times in my humble opinion now let it be known that Mark speaks Arabic I do not he's able to uh, read in Arabic I cannot so therefore I will concede that he has more of an understanding and maybe our differences come from his better understanding than mine. The understanding that I've reached so far is that Islam is an evil religion. It is a violent religion. And I only come to that conclusion because of what I read in the, the Quran and interpret it through the eyes of the Prophet Muhammad. So if there's something that I believe in the Quran that contradicts itself then I'm able, for me, I'm able to reconcile that contradiction by reading it through the lens of the actions of the prophet, the, the, the main focus or the author. And because of that, I continue to come back to the, in my mind, what I believe is a religion that is not peaceful. Now, does that mean that all Muslims are violent? No, it does not. I have Muslims that I work with on a regular basis that I consider my friend. They've come to my house. We've had great times at my, especially when I used to live in Kunming. I've, by the way, I've spoken in mosques. I've been, I've been invited to come and share in mosques, and I have. Um, I've had. Um, Muslim leaders come and enjoy food at my house. I had a special set of di dishes um, that you know had never been used. I've had I, I for pork or anything that would be unclean. Um, same thing. I you know we went and bought a pan so that we could cook food that would be clean for our Muslim friends when they come and join us at our meals at our house. So I would not say any of these things to them. Because it would, it would ruin my relationship with them. They are peaceful Muslims. 
and I have a great relationship together with him. But I would say it is be, in spite of, not because of, their Muslim religion. That is my conclusion. It is a conclusion that can be moved if I have new evidence that proves me wrong. And I and and the reason I bring that up is because when Mark was talking and he was sharing about Muslims, uh, this was one of the things that I think he would probably disagree with me on if he reads my book. Because when I talk about Islam, I basically say there's five reasons why I believe it is not a peaceful document, and the reasons are the five reasons are who, what, when, where, why, who. Who is Muhammad? He was not a peaceful person. He was a warrior. He was not just a warrior. He was a murderer. He wasn't just a murderer. He was a rapist. He wasn't just a rapist. He was a pedophile. Um, what? What is the Quran? When I read the Quran, I come to a very violent document that was is open-ended violence. Meaning that <clears throat> it... The violence is not just for a limited period of time. It is until um, all infidels have been submitted. Uh, who, what, when? When Islam started, how did it spread? Did it spread in a peaceful manner or a violent manner? I believe that history is unmistakable that it, it spread in a violent manner. Who, what, when, where? Where is Islam today? Which countries are Muslim countries? And would we label them as being peaceful? Well, even the most secular of countries being Malaysia, Indonesia, um, Turkey, I would say those three countries are not peaceful when it comes to conversion sharing of God's word, proselyzing, and evangelizing. Who, what, when, where, why? What are the incentives? I think the incentives are clear. That jihad and the benefits of jihad are encouraging violence. So that is my conclusion. And I do not believe, I could be wrong, I would love to get Mark on and speak with him more. I don't know if I would bring these points up to Mark because he really is a wealth of information and I would rather just him share from his heart and see what I can learn from his own studies. So he obviously has a passion to reach Muslims. And if you have a passion to reach Muslims, as the Chinese do and as we were working together with the Chinese to do, this is this is something that you should know, but not necessarily... I mean, what I just shared does not open doors. I mean, how am I going to build friends and friendships and bridges with Muslims if my the first words that come out of my mouth is that Islam is an evil document and Muslims are violent? Um, by the way, one of those statements are, are true and the other statement is not a blanket uh, truth. Um, not all Muslims are violent individuals. Um, actually, the majority of them are not. And like I said, I believe that to be a 
Um, not because of the Quran, but despite the Quran. So when we look at those five things of the of the what I believe shows that Islam is a violent religion, I'm not going to start off my conversation with a Muslim saying that, you know, I think that you're violent, I think your religion is violent, I think that you kill people and like it, you know, and, and, and basically offend them and put them on the defense from the very beginning. That is not productive for anybody. So even though I think it's important for us to understand that, I do not think it is productive to um, shout that and to start off relationships. If you're if you have a vision to reach the Muslims, it is good for you to know that, but not necessarily good for you to use that. Does that make sense? I don't think that it's needed that you offend. For instance. <clears throat> You know, somebody who is a, a drug dealer. You can believe that it's wrong to deal drugs, but if you want to engage a drug dealer and lead them to Christ, maybe you should love them as a person first. Talk with them, engage them. That's what the Chinese do. They make friends of the people that are of different religions. They're used to living in a communist society that is atheist and persecutes Christians. They don't want to persecute the Muslims. They don't want to offend the Muslims uh, on, on, for, on purpose for no reason at all. I mean, the truth might offend them. And there's nothing that we can do about that when backed into a corner. But that's not our goal. Our goal is not to offend. Our goal is to engage. Build bridges which is what Mark is all about. He's all about building bridges for Christians to reach Muslims. And I, I really do, and I think it's amazing. Now here, here's the dilemma that I'm, that I'm coming to. And I would appreciate maybe some feedback. Think about this. <clears throat> so Mark has been working on a, on a Quran. And in the Quran... There are many things. If you haven't read the Quran before, there are sections that have been ripped directly out of the Bible and sections that have been ripped directly out of the uh, Torah. So you have these Jewish stories that have uh, been retold from the Bible in the Quran and uh, from from the Old Testament into the Quran, from the New Testament into the Quran. Now they're not this, the stories are not always the same. They're 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 usually you know kind of as a as a common shared foundation and base and then um, there is a, um, a big difference obviously so they have translated the Quran when I say they I'm talking about former congressman Mark Salinger and his friends and what they have done is they've translated the Quran and in the Quran they put Bible footnotes and their feeling is, is that if somebody reads the Quran that may never pick up a Bible because maybe they would feel uh, persecuted for picking up a Bible and that's difficult if they don't even know what the Bible says. Like it's important. I, and I've, I've ran into this in, in North Korea. We were able to deliver Bibles in North Korea, but those Bibles, <clears throat> for the most part, got people killed. And the people that were killed, we didn't even know when we delivered the Bibles in the very beginning whether the people that were killed knew what those Bibles were, knew what was in them. So we we just don't know. So if a Muslim 
you know, gets a Bible for whatever reason and doesn't even get a chance to read it and is killed or tortured or beaten, whatever, for the Bible that they didn't even know existed. I can understand if you don't want to really give them a Bible uh, because they may not know the kind of punishment it would fall upon them, blah, 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 blah. So what Mark has done, he and his team have put together this translation of the Quran and then they put Bible footnotes with the hope that those that read the Quran will go down and also read the Bible footnotes. So they will actually become exposed through the Bible. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? If we leave the Quran in its present state and then put Bible footnotes and encourage people to read this Quran and then they also inadvertently read from the Bible, is that a good trick or what? Is that something that is that is worthy of doing or is this something that we could actually solidify people encourage people to study the Quran and not the Bible huh I don't know I don't know where I actually stand with on this but I love the idea I'm glad he brought it up I think that it's uh, it's fascinating to see if God can use something like this to bless the Muslim people like Okay, you get a Quran. You think it's a Quran. You start reading the Quran. And then you see these footnotes. And the footnotes are actually from the Bible. And from that, you end up reading more of the Bible than what you might have otherwise. I don't know. I think that it's worth discussing. So if there's if there's some of you out there who's like, No, don't do it. Send me an email. Tell me why. If, if we were to work together with Congressman Mark, print these, these Qurans with biblical teaching in hopes of getting people to read the Bible and to accept Christ. Does it then become confusing? Like once they become believers in Jesus Christ, do they think that both the Bible and the Quran are true? Can both of them stand together on the same platform? Can two people that disagree, like possibly myself and Mark, can we be standing on the platform? And disagree with one another and still be believers. Well, I think it's true that we can definitely disagree and and be believers, but I don't know if using the Quran for evangelism is a great idea. I'm going to try to talk about this more in the episodes to come. Just something to think about. I pray that this podcast is full of information that will help you join in on the conversation I would love it if you were able to write and say hey I think that this is something that you should go for it's completely different we can't continue to do the same thing over and over again if it's not working to keep doing it over again if it's not working is like the definition of insanity so yeah write and tell me what you think I would love to hear from you